Many people who claim that me and others like me are tinfoil hat conspiracy theorists are basically quoted as saying, what slippery slope? It will never happen. Well, observe this timeline of how the rainbow flag movement has been crowding out the traditional Judeo-Christian values of our society. In 1995, love is love. We just want acceptance. 2005, we just want equality. 2012, bake the cake or go to court. 2015, say my pronouns or lose your job. 2023, the kids will watch drag shows. The child sex change industry is massive and growing in North America. Alarming numbers of innocent children are undergoing cross-sex treatments, yielding a prodigious cash influx to hospitals, pharmaceutical companies, and others in the medical industry. Between 2017 and 2019, nearly 60 genital surgeries and 800 mastectomies were performed on minors as part of mass gender transition in the U.S. But even that figure understates the vast scope of the child sex change industry by excluding certain patients. According to Dr. Stanley Goldfarb, board chair of Do No Harm and former associate dean for curriculum at the University of Pennsylvania School of Medicine, quote, There is no question that financial rewards play a role in the adoption of gender-affirming care. Hospitals and physicians generate substantial payments from insurers or self-pay patients when children enter into the transition protocols. No matter what other motives come into play, there is no way that the surgical and medical activities would be embraced by various gender clinics and hospitals if they were financially harmed by these clinical activities. End quote. While there is comprehensive data tracking the number of children undergoing these procedures and the cost of these vary widely, existing data and field experts have shed light upon a highly profitable and burgeoning market offering largely irreversible procedures to minors. Mastectomies and breast augmentations cost about $10,000. Cross sex genital surgeries which for boys entail amputation of their genitals, cost $25,000 plus several thousand more for anesthesia and a hospital stay. That is merely the introduction to a lifetime of required chronic medical care. The cost of facial and other cross-sex surgeries can exceed $15,000, according to a 2019 listing from the Philadelphia Transgender Surgery Centers, PTSC, such prices have escalated with the rising tide of demand spurred by increased transgender propaganda in recent years. According to the University of California Los Angeles Williams Institute, about 300,000 kids in the U.S. now self-identify as transgender, but only some of them seek medical transition. While many choose to undergo mutilating surgical procedures like mastectomies, a larger portion receive puberty blockers and or hormones, providing a steady stream of revenue to pharmaceutical companies and medical providers. There are more than 100 gender clinics in the U.S. treating children, and each of them see as many as 300 patients annually. By that metric, there are easily 30,000 children 
undergoing some type of gender transition in the U.S. alone each year. The overall U.S. cross-sex surgery market was valued at just under $2 billion in 2019 and is projected to nearly treble by 2023. This is according to Grandview Research, which credits the high market value to increased prevalence of transgender identification and expanding insurance coverage for radical procedures. This rise in self-identification is heavily concentrated amongst youth, and the medical industry is capitalizing. Johns Hopkins Medicine has lobbied the Maryland legislature to expand Medicaid coverage of transgender procedures to include a menu of interventions typically considered cosmetic, including Adam's apple reduction, facial contouring, and laser hair removal. The American Society of Plastic Surgeons is vigilantly fighting state legislation aimed at restriction of child sex change procedures and advocating instead for expanded coverage of such lunacy. The Daily Wire recently uncovered a recording of what has been actually going on at these transgender clinics. A woman identified as Dr. Shane Taylor of the Vanderbilt University Medical Center, or VUMC, touted the profitability of gender surgeries during a 2018 lecture, the same year that VUMC opened its gender clinic. VUMC offered hormones and double mastectomies to minors identifying as transgender until succumbing to pressure from the Tennessee State Legislature last year. According to Taylor, quote, This is only including top surgery. This isn't including any bottom surgery, and it's a lot of money. These surgeries make a lot of money. So female-to-male chest reconstruction can bring in $40,000. A patient who just got routine hormone treatment, who I'm only seeing a few times a year, can bring in several thousand dollars without requiring a lot of visits and labs. It actually makes money for the hospital. End quote. We can only infer from this that the money to be made goes far beyond the cost of a single procedure. These Frankensteinian gender doctors are seeding a steady money stream by transmuting adolescents with healthy bodies into lifelong consumers of drastic medical procedures who must then depend upon additional drugs, surgery, and psychological help just to resemble a stable existence. A sex change patient who begins treatment during puberty incurs massive costs immediately. The puberty blocker Lupron Depot PED costs about $2,000 per month, such that a youth who takes it between the ages of 14 to 16 would spend nearly $50,000 during that time frame. Cross-sex hormones, the next phase of transition, are typically offered at age 16 and are far less expensive but must be continued for the rest of a patient's natural life. Child gender transition advocates make the completely insupportable claim that gender-affirming procedures are medically necessary to address the heightened mental health and suicide risks among transgender youth and to allow them to live out their truth. Tragically, suicide studies show that the promised long-term happy result is quite illusory. The rate of self-murder for trans teens is 16 times higher than that of their binary counterparts. 
and that risk only increases post-transition, once the pain and horror of regret set in. Thankfully, ethical people working in hospitals in Great Britain, the US and Canada are now speaking out about the rush to prescribe puberty-blocking drugs and surgeries to children suffering what was once universally recognized as a condition called gender dysphoria. Their claims are shocking. Thousands of children, most of whom may be gay, lesbian, or bisexual, suffering from anxiety disorders and autism, are being sterilized and mutilated for a psychiatric condition which we know most of them would otherwise simply outgrow. Concerns over rushing girls into taking puberty blockers and surgically removing their breasts have been growing since the 2020 publication of Abigail Schreier's controversial book, Irreversible Damage. Schreier presents a compelling argument that girls who in the past might have experienced anorexia are now suffering from sudden-onset gender dysphoria and seeking to become boys. Three years on, the data now manifest that Schreier was nothing short of prophetic. The best explanation for the rapid increase in girls seeking to transition is that it is a social contagion, not unlike anorexia. Until just a few short years ago, gender dysphoria, or severe discomfort in one's biological sex, was vanishingly rare. It was typically found in less than 0.01% of the population, emerged in early childhood, and afflicted males almost exclusively. Think of Bruce, nay, Caitlyn Jenner. But today, whole groups of female friends in colleges, high schools, and even middle schools are coming out as transgender. These are girls who never experienced any discomfort in their biological sex before hearing a coming out story from a speaker at a school assembly or discovering the internet community of trans influencers. Unsuspecting parents are awakening to find their daughters in thrall to hip trans YouTube stars and gender-affirming educators and therapists who push life-changing interventions on young girls, including medically unnecessary mastectomies and puberty blockers that cause permanent infertility. In response to a major increase in dysphoric children attending transgender clinics since 2015, hospitals in the UK, US, and Canada rushed to prescribe drugs rather than investigate other potential causes for the marked increase. Such treatments were provided despite widespread evidence that children were suffering from a range of other psychological disorders, mental illnesses and disabilities, particularly autism. British doctors began prescribing puberty blockers to children under 16 even before any data on their effects were available, nor did they bother to track the outcomes. Consequently, alongside sterilizing the mentally ill during the 20th century, the sterilization and mutilation of children with psychiatric conditions might very well go down as one of modern history's most heinous abuses of medical power. Most recently, a state attorney is investigating the strange case of the St. Louis Children's Hospital, or SLCH, transgender clinic, for, quote, harming hundreds of children each year, end quote, including all of the girls from a fifth grade class ostensibly wanting to transition. 
When they arrived together at the clinic, the girls were only 10 or 11 years of age and each asked to become a boy. SLCH recommended, quote, as much support and discussion as possible around their gender exploration. According to the Missouri State Attorney Andrew Bailey's investigation, quote, the best we can do is affirm, validate, and allow for exploration, said Dr. Sarah Garwood, SLCH advisor. Really? Is that the best we can do for them? Not everyone agrees. Whistleblower and former SLCH employee Jamie Reed went to the Missouri State Attorney and told investigators about the harmful transgender treatments being provided at SCLH, absent parent consent. Bailey issued the following public statement. Quote, The SLCH used experimental drugs on children, distributing puberty blockers and cross-sex hormones, without individualized assessment, and even giving children these life-altering drugs without parental consent. We take this evidence seriously and are thoroughly investigating to make sure children are not harmed by individuals who may be more concerned with a radical social agenda than the health of children, end quote. The state attorney further found that such gender treatments, quote, led children to attempt suicide, end quote, and that SLCH, quote, never discontinues prescribing cross-sex hormones, no matter how much those drugs are harming a child, end quote. The investigation also revealed that SLCH illegally billed the state for transitioning drugs, the cost of which is not publicly funded, not yet anyhow, which may be precisely the point for SLCH and those pushing this destructive but highly profitable agenda. They need the rest of us, the tolerant, affirming ones, to pay for all of this madness, whether through private medical insurance plans or public health care systems, all of which begs the question, how did all of this get so bad so fast? How did the idea that girls in particular could or should try to alter themselves physically into boys become so widely accepted in the Western world? The answer is that well-funded and politically powerful groups of leftist activists demonized all who dared to question the pseudoscience underlying their claims or expressed doubt that drugs and surgeries were the best treatment. For example, the top trans attorney at the American Civil Liberties Union, or ACLU, falsely claimed that Schreier was, quote, closely aligned with white supremacists in power, end quote, and urged that her book be banned. Trans activists got Amazon, the largest worldwide distributor of consumer products, to falsely claim that the book, quote, infers or claims to diagnose, treat, or question sexual orientation, end quote and suspended advertisements for it one week before its publication. In 2021, they forced the Nonprofit Trade Association for Independent Booksellers to issue an apology for daring to mention the book in its monthly mailing. Behind such zeal is dogmatic fanaticism. Schreier, who studied law at Harvard before becoming a writer for the Wall Street Journal, has dug deeply into the trans epidemic, talking to the girls, their agonized parents, and even the counselors and physicians who enable gender transitions, as well as to, quote, detransitioners, young women who bitterly regret what they unwittingly had done to themselves. 
Coming out as transgender immediately boosts these girls' social status, Schreier finds, but once they take their first steps into transition, it is not easy to walk back. She offers urgently needed advice about how parents can either inoculate their daughters or rescue them from this dangerous path. As Schreier explains, transgenderism is incredibly seductive and that it promises fulfillment of a child's deepest spiritual needs. Here's a quotation from her book. Gender ideology is very much like a religion, and gender identity is the secular version of a soul. You're a woman down to every cell of your body, but still, they insist that there is this ethereal thing, your true gender identity, which really is the secular version of the soul. End quote. The separate woke dogmas have thus congealed to offer the unity once provided by more traditional religions. Where climate change offers the apocalypse and BLM promises absolution from the venal sin of white supremacy, being trans gives one a temporal soul. These three issues form the satanic trinity of woke ideology. As a single cult, woke manipulates powerful emotions such as guilt, anger, and above all, fear. These feelings are weaponized to bully individuals and institutions to kneel to irrational demands. By this method, we have witnessed the profoundly illiberal woke movement spawn from the heart of liberalism itself to become its very antithesis. Where progressives once defended free speech and were suspicious of police and corporate media, they now cancel, dox, and demand censorship or even arrest of all who dare to disagree with them. At the core of the woke cult is self-sacralization and demonization. On gender dysphoria, trans activists cast themselves as liberators, while critics of puberty blockers and life-altering surgery are labeled transphobes. On race, BLM activists depict themselves as noble revolutionaries and their opponents as systemically racist. On climate change, activists frame themselves as earth messiahs and their opponents equivalent to Holocaust deniers. By contrast, there is no such unity amongst the rest of us who are classically liberal, libertarian, conservative, feminist, and even far-right. How in the world did things get so bad? A big part of the reason is that woke is a dogmatic, powerful, and tyrannical cult. But another part of the explanation is that the woke are ideologically united where we are divided, all of which is by design. But, just in time, out of the frozen mist from Canada of all places, comes hope. One of the world's foremost critics of woke trans activists is Dr. Jordan Peterson, who is presently at risk of losing his professional license for standing up to leftist tyranny. The College of Psychologists of Ontario is demanding that Peterson submit to a coaching program with a therapist, partly due to his tweets about mutilating mastectomies for young girls. They also demand that he sign a statement that reads, quote, I may have lacked professionalism in public statements and during a January 25, 2022 podcast appearance. End quote. In response, an open letter defending Peterson's right to free speech 
was signed by 75 of the world's most influential psychologists and public intellectuals, including Jonathan Haidt and Steven Pinker. It reads as follows. The issues in question are conspicuously political and not clinical. The college alleges that some of Dr. Peterson's comments, including those about gender ideology, climate change, overpopulation, and nuclear power, appear to undermine the public trust in the profession as a whole and raise questions about your ability to carry out your responsibilities as a psychologist. To that claim, we simply reply, no, they do not. And the allegation that they do is symptomatic of precisely the dogmatic victimhood ideology that Dr. Peterson is famous for criticizing. One need not agree with anything Dr. Peterson has said or written to realize that the college's concern has nothing to do with his clinical practice. The college has presented no evidence that Dr. Peterson has lacked professionalism, undermined public trust in the profession, or has said or done anything that would raise questions about his responsibilities as a psychologist. End quote. We pray that this letter signals the dawn of a more activist epoch by a united coalition against woke ideology peddlers who now dominate all of our major Western institutions. Such an alliance would reject victimhood ideologies and pseudo-scientific views of race and sex, expressly assimilationist, integrationist, and anti-essentialist on race matters. It would affirm that sexual differences are both real and worth defending. Our side of the case might differ on issues such as abortion, same-sex marriage, gun control, COVID, political parties, trans adults, the role of government in the economy, and countless other issues, including ones yet to arise. We might nevertheless ally to reject the pro-scarcity, anti-human, Malthusian strain of environmentalism and instead favor humanistic, pro-abundant solutions to domestic and global challenges. We could even agree upon new approaches to addiction, mental illness, and homelessness, emphasizing recovery and rehabilitation, rather than openly promoting liberal consumption, addiction, and overdoses. At bottom, a united anti-woke movement would defend freedom of speech. We hold freedom of speech as an absolute value and favor policies as close to such absolutism while affirming the need for existing constraints established by courts to prevent speech from being used to incite violence. But the widening scandals over evident medical mistreatment of children suffering from psychiatric disorders points to the need for free speech to be embraced by greater society and not just by our courts. Whistleblowers usually emerge because the once trusted institutions for which they worked caused harm and prohibited the free dialogue required to solve the complaint of problem. This is therefore a call to action for those committed to joining our coalition. We are the working class, middle class, and politically moderate professionals who value law and order, meritocracy, cheap energy, and free speech. We are immune from the viral contagion and fevers of what God Sad calls idea pathogens. We value the rule of law and the supremacy of God. For too long, we who are dedicated to the basic, normal, and eminently sane values of Western civilization 
have allowed ourselves to be divided by issues out of the past irrelevant to our present problems. Now, as we learn more about how radical woke ideologies create psychiatric disorders, it is time for all those tuned to the pure sweet frequency of objective reality and truth to unite. We have nothing to lose but our chains and a world to win for our children. My closing quotation for today was penned by Alexander Solzhenitsyn in 1978. It's as follows. The declining courage may be the most striking feature that an outside observer notices in the West today. Must one point out that from ancient times the decline in courage has been considered the first symptom of the end? End quote.